Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be going through verse 7 today. All right, let's read together. Starting in verse 1, once again, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins and once in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would reveal to us and open our minds and our hearts to your word this morning the the importance and the brevity of what it means to be made alive by your rich mercy, great love, and glorious grace. That we may delight in it, that our affections may be drawn to it, and that we may live in it. In Christ's name. Amen. So last week we covered this passage, in verses uh, one through one through six or five, uh, covering the the nature of God in this passage. And we talked about three different things in covering the nature of God in this passage, and that is his his rich mercy, his great love, and his glorious grace. And we saw that in that it was like a it was like a water faucet, right? A water faucet that that pours out grace and mercy on whom God wills, right? The faucet is his love, the pipe is his glory. That's God pouring out on his people. And what we see in this passage, God being the main subject. He is the main subject. There's no other actor in this. Meaning, there is nothing that man, the we, the were, those who once were, who is acting at all. There is no active verb that they are doing. They are not jumping. They are not running. They are not choosing. They are not swimming. They are not walking. They are not standing. If anything, what they are doing actively in verses 1 through 3 is they are walking the course of this world. So what are we? We are the passive recipients. God, the main subject, is acting the main verb, making alive. And that is an action that is happening to us, being made alive, that we are being made alive and is being made alive by His grace. We, as the passive recipients of God's divine intervention, is now being made alive in Christ. Now, what does this mean? That's what we're going to talk about today. This means regeneration. How many of y'all have ever heard that word before? Regeneration. Try. 
And we've heard that word in, in the context of, of, um, of church, I think in other places as well. Uh, sometimes believers, Christians, are referred to as the regenerate, right? The regenerate, why? Because they have been regenerated, right? They have re- recipients of regeneration, made alive, being made alive. The divine, inter- uh, uh, the divine intervention of God, regenerate, taking what was once dead, that inanimate object of death, walking the course of this world, unable to save themselves, and making them alive, regenerate. And that's what this passage tells us. That's what this passage teaches us right here. That just as Jesus himself stood at the entrance of the tomb of the man named Lazarus and called Lazarus to come forth, to be alive, to come out, Lazarus, and everybody's sitting there looking at him, this is impossible, this guy's nuts, there would need to be a miracle that takes place. Jesus does miracles, but he's never done anything like this before. And Jesus called Lazarus to come forth, making him alive. And in the same way, he brought regeneration to Lazarus in a physical life. He is doing that in us and making us alive, calling us out by name just as he has done with Lazarus. To no longer be dead. To no longer live in the tombs, to no longer live in the shadows, to no longer live in darkness and blindness, but to come alive. But the question that I could not shake when I was studying this, because I know myself, is this. Does this making alive, this divine intervention, does it really have impact on my everyday life? Does it? Does it really have impact on my everyday life? Can it? Should it? I mean, the Bible makes claims like 2 Corinthians 5.17 that therefore now you are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Is that true? Can that really be true? When I think about my own heart, I kind of wonder, is that true? When I have conversations with, with, with other believers, when I'm getting to know them, and they're willing to, to open up and confess, I, I, I hear constantly those brothers who are, who are given into sin, rampant, as if new life has not come. Can it really be? Are we really new creations? Can we really be made alive? Is this all just out of touch, out of reality? Does it not make sense? Are we, are we standing there kind of watching Jesus at the, at, the, at the edge of the tomb, just going, this guy's nuts. It doesn't impact me. Every day, it doesn't impact me. And this is how I want to look at this text this morning. It's through the, through the eyes of the impact of what this text does and sharing with us how we are really made alive. That God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love and His glorious grace by which we have been saved, we have been made alive. And being made alive, He shows us in this text, and what we've already read, 
how he has made us alive. How we have been made alive. And we're going to go through those. There's, there's three of them. And I'll go ahead and tell you. He has made us alive from sin. He has made us alive with Christ. So, from sin, with Christ. And the third one is that we have been made alive to display the glory of God. From sin, with Christ, to display the glory of God. So first, we are made, we are made alive. Those who are in Christ, we are made alive from sin. Verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. You can see there, just reading it, in verses 4 and 5, that but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, right? This is our state. We've been talking about that over the last three weeks, that this is where we are, this is who we are, in the state of dead in our trespasses and sins. We have now been made alive. He has made us alive. So the very thing that has killed us, sin, we have now been made alive from. We've been made alive from. This, once again, is regeneration. The being made alive from sin. And this being made alive from sin is not one to be ignored. It's a theme that that runs throughout Scripture. That we've been made alive from sin. That we're no longer in its grips. We're no longer in its bondage. We're no longer blind slaves to its seductive allure. The flesh no longer has authority over our souls and our lives. And this has been a theme throughout Scripture. I want to point you back to the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36. Love Ezekiel 36 and 37. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. If you, got, if you can go quickly, you can switch there to me and, and with me and read this. He says in 26, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I love this. Listen to what he says here. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a new heart of flesh. I love that. That's, a, that's kind of the redeeming that word of flesh there. That he gives us a, a, a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And to be careful to obey my rules. We are given new life. New heart made alive where the the heart of stone has been removed and the heart of flesh where now we are really living. No longer dead, but our heart's really living now with this new spirit that causes us and moves us to walk with God and to be obedient in His statutes. And you imagine this was predicted by Ezekiel and is now being not being fulfilled in us through Christ by His grace. So if we've been made alive from sin, and there's three things that we cannot do anymore. Number one, or, or first one we can't do, and the other two are not. They're positive. 
Uh, first one is we cannot go on sinning. We cannot go on sinning. If we've been made alive, we cannot go on sinning. 1 John 3, verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, His Spirit, His Son, abides in us. Right? That's the, the new heart. And He cannot keep on sinning because He has been born of God. I'm going to say the reverse again so you can go back and look it up later. 1 John 3, 9. 1 John 3, 9. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He has been born of God. It is the power of God that keeps us from continual sin. This doesn't mean perfection. Not yet. This doesn't mean perfection and that we'll never sin. But what this points to and that we cannot continue in sinning is that the pattern of our life looks as one who is being obedient to the Lord. Because we have been made alive. If you have been made alive, then you are no longer dead. And if you are no longer dead, then you no longer act as dead people act. Dead. We cannot continue sinning. There's a new pattern. The pattern of our life looks different. The second one is this, is that if we've been made alive from sinning, then we are overcoming this world. We are overcoming this world. Going back to 1 John, 1 John 5, verse 4, says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who has been born of God, made alive, given new life, a new birth, overcomes the world. Doesn't this speak back to the, the first two things that we see in verses 1 through 3? No longer continue in sin. The dead trespasses in sin. The next one is following the course of this world. We have overcome it. Being made alive, we now have the ability to overcome the pressures and temptations of this world. Listen to that. We have now the ability to overcome the pressures and temptations of this world. No longer cursed to, to just blindly walk the course of this world, but we can overcome it. And the reason why we can overcome it because Christ has overcome the world. And if we are in Him and we have been made alive, then therefore we can overcome this world. The burdens and commands of God are no longer a burden, but they are joyful commands. So we, have, we cannot continue in sin. We've overcome this world. Number three, we have protection from Satan. Once again, alluding back to, to our verses in one through three, we have protection from Satan, right? following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air who is at work in this world. That he's no longer our master. We're no longer following him. Back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God, made alive in Christ, does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Now, will there be attacks by Satan? Will fiery darts come? Yes. 
But will they overcome us? No. Will we give in to them? Will we dive back into the darkness instead of turning to the light? Living as if a dead person? Absolutely. But the reassuring fact that in the new life in Christ, that he who is greater in this he who is greater that is in you than it is in this world. That's the reassuring fact. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit that keeps us safe. That keeps us safe. So we are cannot go on sinning, overcoming this world in a protection from Satan. So that's the first point. First, we are made alive from sin. We're free from it. We're free. All the temptations and sin that you give into is willy, willfully. You, you, you willfully give into it. There's, there's no excuse. But we are free because we've been made alive and we can be victorious over sin. There's no sin that can overcome you. He's been made alive. And this is the first glorious truth. And answering that first question, does it really have an impact on our life, is understanding this, that we have been made alive from sin. And the second one is, we are made, we are made alive with Christ. We are made alive with Christ. Look at verse 5 again. 5 and 6, it says, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been united with Christ. We've talked about this. Our union now with Christ in chapter 1. We talked about that. But in three ways we see here in this passage how we have been united with Christ. And the first one is we are together with him. We are together with him. The, the results of, of being alive together with Christ can usually be seen in a believer almost instantaneously. Meaning this, when someone comes from, from darkness to life, the results of being made alive can, can usually be seen at once. There's, there's a heartfelt trusting in Christ for salvation. No other hope but, but Christ. There's an assurance that sins have really been forgiven. There's a desire to, to read the Bible and to, and to pray. There's this new delight in worship. And there's this new delight to gather and fellowship with other Christians. There's a new desire to be obedient to God's Word and the Scripture. And then there's this new desire to tell others about that good news. This is, this is part of that, what it means to be together with Christ. This is what it happens to us when we come alive in Christ. You see, Christianity, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Christianity is not about you becoming a better person. As a pastor, I don't care about that. Go be a better person in a club. Go be a better voter. Go be a better American, a better student, better employee, better worker, whatever it is. A Christianity is not about you being a better person 
or a nicer person. It's not about starting a a new religious routine. It's about the work of God in making us alive, taking something that once was dead and making it alive. It's about becoming a completely new person. Your better self that you try to improve is dead. You don't need to build on what you are or were. You need to build on on who Christ is. The dead is gone. The, the, The old is gone. We see this played out, I think, for us in John 3, where Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to Jesus and asks him, what do I got to do to be saved? And I think he's really trying to figure out who in the world are you? And Jesus answered him in verse 3. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus, what does he say? Well, how's how does one become born again when he's old? How does he enter the second time into his mother's womb? <coughs> Jesus answered again. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being made alive and together with Christ is becoming completely new. You are not becoming just a better person. The old is gone and the new has come. To be born again is to be new. Jesus was literally telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, all your righteousness are is, is junk. All the awesome things you may know about God, what help has it done to you in this moment? <coughs> Nothing. You must be born again. And this born again only comes through the Spirit of God. It's the only way that we are united with God. An illustration of this, of this, this new life, and by the way, we can find this throughout the Bible. I mean, look at the life of Paul. And just look at that. This is just not even part of my sermon, but you can go look at that and see the new life transformation the regeneration has done, did in his, in his life. But in, in the 18th century, the evangelist George Whitfield, a preacher of the First Great Awakening, um, he would often preach from that text of John chapter 3. And, and during one of those times, it was, it was said that there was a man who showed up with a pocket full of rocks with the direct intention to pelt George Whitfield in the face with a rock. He hated his message, and he hated Whitfield. But the powerful message of the gospel changed this man's life. Changed this man's life. And after the message, he went up to, to George Whitfield, and when he went up to George Whitfield, he emptied his pockets of rocks. And of course, he's probably going, what is this guy doing? And he said to him, the man said to George, he says, I came to hear you with, a, with, with my pocket full of stones and rocks to break your head. But the sermon I got got the better of me and broke my head. New life. Alive. United with Christ. Another great example in Scripture comes from Luke chapter 23. The two thieves on the cross. How is it that that one repented and one did not? How is it that in the the 11th hour, this man turns to Christ and says, Remember me. Spirit of God, the grace of God, made him alive. So the first is we are together with Christ. The second is we are raised with Christ. You can see that, that we are raised up 
with him. Consider, consider this with me, brothers and sisters. Consider this with me, the, the astonishing truth that we are now united with Jesus Christ. That we are raised up with him. The mystery, that is. The astonishment, that is. This is, this is clearly an allusion back to the resurrection. This is clearly alluding back to the resurrection of, of Christ. The verb here that's being used, raised us up, has a prefix to it, sink. And that's a word that we use often. We have to have everything synced in our life. Right? Your phone's got to work with the computer. The computer's got to work with the iPad, at least for me. It's got to work. And if it's not synced, it becomes obvious. We want things to, to work, to, to work out. And when they, they mesh really well, and I'm thinking nowadays they are, the cloud has been awesome and syncing. Now you have to don't plug in wires and computers and not to mess with all that junk anymore. But the same idea is being made here, that we are raised up with Christ, alive with Christ. We are being synchronized with Jesus. Raised up, synchronized with Christ, what God did for Christ and what God did in Christ and in his resurrection, at the same time, he is doing that in us. Resurrection, new life. So think with me. In some astonishing, mysterious way that only God could do, what only God could accomplish 2,000 years ago or whatever it is, when Christ got up and got out of the tomb, he was in some way doing that in us as well. Then in some way we got up with him. Raised up in newness of life. That we got up with him. Colossians 2, verse 12, speaks of this unifying resurrection power of God. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Look at the unity there. Not only that, but look at the power of the symbolism of baptism. And because we've been raised with Christ, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, seek the things that are above. Why? Because it's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Raised with Christ. So we are together with Christ. We are raised with Christ. And the third thing is we are seated with Christ. We are seated with Christ. Synchronized again with Christ. Seated with Christ. This talks about that superiority and authority and position that we now have. Where is Christ? Next to the Father. In a position of authority. And we are raised up and seated with him. So how do I make claims like we are overcoming this world and we have protection over Satan and we have, we have, we're no longer continuing in sin because we are raised up and seated with Christ. This new position, your position once of death in the tomb with Lazarus dead, no longer, but alive. But alive. Praise God. 
praise God, the, the new confidence that we can, we can now have that, that even though we might fail, even though we might give in to sin, that we can be confident, that we can be confident, listen to me, that we can only stand on the work of God in Christ because of where He has put us. You haven't walked any steps You haven't stood up and sat in the seat yourself, but God has picked you up, helpless, and put you there. By His grace, we can have confidence in that work. And then perfectly, one day, we will experience a completion of that. We'll experience a completion of that. The completion of our salvation, where that's perfected. So first, we are made alive from sin. Second, we are made alive with Christ. And third, we are made alive to display the glory of God. This comes from verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The sufficiency of God's grace is such that it is working in us. And it has been working in believers throughout the ages. Think of that. Think of the power there. Think of the effectiveness of God's grace. And for the very reason he is doing so is so that we, the one who's in Christ, the one who's now been made alive, might show the immeasurable riches of God's grace in his kindness. We may display His glory. Display His grace. Display His love. Is is there any other evidence that is greater that proves that God is first and foremost for you? That Christ sent His Son to die for you, to to make you alive, and then make you this, this one that shows for the coming ages the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward the world. Is there any other thing that proves that He delights in you? When I was younger, when I was a kid, I, I played Little League, and I only played a couple years. I played a lot more sandlot softball or baseball than, than I did, but I played a few years of, of Little League ball. And one of my first years of playing, I was in elementary school. Our team, uh, I remember being a part of this team, and this is back in the day, my day at least, where you know, your uniforms were from Kmart and your shoes were from Payless and you used wooden bats still um, kind of thing, and you barely got a helmet. Right? You had one helmet for the whole team kind of thing. And, um, you, know, you wore the trucker hat. You guys remember those? And you're, you had a T-shirt that you tucked in, pants that already had holes in them from your brothers. Um, and you hoped you had socks that would still fit. Um, and I remember being on this team, and we were the Cubs, which I don't know why. We just, stupid name, hate the Cubs. Um, and we wore yellow uniforms, which is funny. I mean, you're the Cubs, but, you're, but you wore yellow uniforms. Um, and, and on that team, that year, we ended up coming in second place in our league. And to us, to me, that was, that was saying a lot because at the beginning, you know, when you're in elementary school, um, you know, they put the, the real terrible people out in the outfield. You guys know that? Okay. Um, we were kind of like that, where the terrible people would be in the outfield, but then the terrible people were also in the infield. 
um, and you, you just were terrible. Like you, we, we were pretty much the bad news bears with less cigarettes and less profanity. Um, that's, that's who we were. Um, we were so bad, but we, we wanted to be better. We saw some other teams. We saw a team that we really hated, and we wanted to be better than them. And so we, we worked hard. We worked hard, really hard. People who had no confidence in playing, had no athletic ability, we worked with them and worked with them where they would at least catch one or two high, you know, pop flies in the outfield. And that made a lot of difference in, in that league. And, and so we got to second place in that year, and, and that just meant so much. And I remember we had a, we had a pizza party, and, and that's when we got, we got our trophy. Right? We, got, we got trophies. We got to take home this, this little trinket that, that showed that we did well that year. And I remember taking that trophy, being so proud of it, because it meant the hard work that we put into that season. And we worked, we worked hard for it. And, we, and I remember putting it in my room and displaying it proudly about that, that year. In the same way, the way that I treasured that little trinket that I have no idea where it is now. In the same way, but in a much greater way, you are a trophy of God's. That you are, a dis- you are proudly displayed by the Father of His rich grace and kindness. That trophy would, be mean- would have been meaningless if we were- they gave it to us if we were terrible still. But it was a rich trophy of God's grace. I mean, think of the, the immeasurable riches of thinking and knowing that when God looks at you, when God looks at me and He says, look at Ben, look at my trophy, look what I've done with that mess, look what I have done, but look at him now. Look at Susan. Look at Bill. Look at Karen. Look at what I've done with them. My grace. My kindness. Marvel in that. Marvel in what God has done with us through His Son. That instead of wrath, He's poured out everlasting grace. A grace that goes beyond the coming ages. And He makes you a display to the nations. A display of His kindness, of grace and glory to the world that is still dead and walking in their trespasses and sins. He puts us before them and says, look at my works of grace. We are to display His kindness. We are to display His glory because we have been made alive. The old is dead and the new has come. And we delight in that. We delight in that. And all of our lives, our words and our life are to be, to be displaying the glory of God. What a difference. What a difference that you now can do that. You can live for something that is the biggest thing in this world. There's, there's nothing greater, there's nothing bigger that we can live for than for the glory of God. And then we can achieve it in such small ways. Amazing. And in all of these things, being made alive with Christ from sin 
and to display the glory of God. The freedom that comes, that, that brings obedience is this. You have done nothing. You have not lifted one finger in being made alive. You have not united yourself with Christ. You have not sat yourself on His place. You have not put yourself anywhere. You've, you've done nothing. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been made alive. And this completely changes our perspective because God has done all of it. God has done all of it. If you begin to continue to think that it is you, then no wonder you're failing. Then no wonder you're not living obediently. No wonder reading Scripture is so darn hard. No wonder gathering with brothers and sisters and being real with one another is so difficult. Because you think it's something that you conjure up yourself, but by God's grace, He has made us alive for you to even think and believe that it's not you. It's Him. And these are the truths that we put on. Later in Ephesians 6, he talked about the armor of God. This, this is it. This is what we put on. So we don't put on armor every day, but we put on clothes. Right? So when you, when you put on your pants, remember, you've been made alive from sin. Put that on every day. That you've been made alive from sin. When you put on your shirt, remember that you've been made alive with Christ. Put that on. As every day, you would not walk outside without your shirt on. Put your shirt on, remembering that you've been made alive with Christ, united with Him, raised up with Him, seated with Him, together with Him. When you put on your shoes, now that is part of the Ephesians 6 passage, you put on your boots, your shoes, remember what you've been made alive too, to display the glory of your heavenly Father who delights in you. Not because you're cool, because you're awesome, because you deserve it, but because what Christ has done. Because of His righteousness. Made alive. So five quick applications I want to give. Like five? Jeez. I'll go quickly. I do not have to be anxious. I do not have to be anxious that I will never measure up because Jesus perfectly measures up. I do not have to be anxious that I will never measure up because Jesus perfectly measured up. See, you and I could never be perfectly obedient to earn God's approval. Never. But by grace, you and I are shining examples of what the gospel can do. Or you're to be that. Some of us may not be. We may be a really bad example. But think about this. Shining examples of what the gospel can produce. It is only in the gospel that you will be transformed and regenerated. So that's number one. We do not have to be anxious that we'll never measure up because Jesus perfectly measures up. Number two, because grace 
because grace allows me to get my identity and security vertically, meaning in Christ, in God, I am freed. I'm freed from building them on what people think of me. Because grace allows me to get my identity and security in Christ vertically, I am freed from building them on what people think of me. We are free from from riding the anxiety-driven roller coaster of people's opinions. Your identity now is in the one who has made you alive. A new identity. This new identity allows us to, to, to face our, our, our weaknesses now with humility, with honesty. And we can only do this because of our new standing position in Christ. Because it's not based upon your performance, but on the perfect obedience of Christ. So we are set free from thinking that our security is in what people think of us. Number three, I do not have to be haunted. Listen to this. I do not have to be haunted by what may be exposed about me. Because everything that could be ever be exposed has already been covered by the blood of Jesus. We no longer have to be haunted by the reality that, that if they just knew me, they knew what sin I enjoyed the most, they knew what darkness I would walk in, we no longer walk in that fear that if that is exposed, that if that is brought to the light, that it is not something that already has been forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus. It's another, we can have a long list, but it's never, another one of the big issues with, the church, with church in America. I don't know about other countries, but I know my experience here is how fake we can be. And how good we can be at faking. And how good we could, we, we could put on a face hiding in shame and guilt and fear. But the gospel frees us from that. This being made alive frees us from those fears. And this is what we need to embrace as a church, that when we walk through sin with a brother and sister when it becomes exposed to the light, as we all should be dragging those things into the light, and when those things walk, we can walk with them in grace and mercy. Who am I to hold a grudge? Who am I to hold something against them if Christ himself is already forgiven and covered by his blood? Number four, I need to remember that my weaknesses, that my weaknesses are not in the way of obedience and serving God. I need to remember that my weaknesses are not in the way of obedience and serving God. But listen to this, but my delusions of independent strength are. Your weaknesses are not your problem. 
And this is the conversation that I have with people. They want to answer their problems. They want me to validate those answers with doing more, having a better, time, a better schedule to set their times and, 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 and have you know, all the little logistics worked out to keep them from a certain sin or to get them reading their Bible or whatever it is. And all those can be helpful, but really that's a delusion because they're trying to fix their problem with their own strength. They're trying to make themselves alive by their own strength. Our weaknesses are not our problem in being obedient and serving God. It's your delusion in thinking that you can do it yourself. And that your independent strength is where you could raise yourself up. You see, our weaknesses, our sin, our failures, they're revealed to us for a reason. They're revealed to us so that we will continue to trust in the grace of God. So that we would look to the grace of God. So that we would look to the gospel and not your own strength. And the Lord puts brothers and sisters in our lives as well and points those things out. And that too is used to, to point us to grace. Let's trust in the Lord. And number five, last one. I could rest assured that God didn't get the wrong address when he called me to new life in him. I can rest assured that God didn't get a wrong address when he called me to new life in him. My spiritual neediness does not compromise the message of the gospel. Rather, my need preaches it. Did you catch that? My spiritual neediness does not compromise the message of the gospel. Rather, my need preaches it. What do we have to boast in but Christ? What do we have to boast in but His grace? Your call was not to be a portrait of perfection, but to be a window. A window that, that displays the glory of the risen Savior. The work of grace in our lives. We don't have to pretend that we're perfect. Just display His grace. It is in our weakness it is in our weakness where we most demonstrate the need and power of the grace of Christ. And this frees us from pretending. Frees us from pretending what we're really not. This is what we need in being made alive, the regenerating work of God. And this is how it is applied in knowing this. This is what answers that question what impact does it really have on my everyday life? Well, in your own strength, nothing. Trusting in Christ, trusting in what God is, putting those things on like you put on your pants and putting on your shirt and put on your shoes every single day, believing it, preaching it to yourself, it means everything every day. And it will change everything every day. It's the new perspective. It's the new perspective. It's the new change. I want to close with this from Ephesians 3, and we'll be done. Looking ahead to Ephesians 3, one of Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, and I believe it transcends for us by the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 14 in chapter 3 says this, For the reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you the to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength and to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we in our hearts can only utter rejoice and cheer and gladness and the work that you have done in making those who are in Christ alive. I pray the one who is right now maybe even doubting that you would give them reassurance and the, and the, the marks of grace, the evidences of grace that are in their life. The one who it may still be an unbeliever, still dead in sin, and wonders why there's never been a mark of anything. By your grace, your mercy, draw them to life. Call them to new life. Regenerate them to new life. To be alive from sin and death. To be united with Christ to be a new trophy on your display case. And Lord, I pray that we would live daily putting these truths on and what you have put us in this new position, remembering that in your grace what you have done and what you have accomplished for your glory and for our joy.